0: Would like to have some times in the sermon where, when I hit the right point, Kim would do that down the keyboard like she did, and sort of add a little something to it, you know. All right. Uh, on Thursday of this week, some of the young at heart went on an expedition to Sandersville, Georgia, and we explored a cemetery. Yeah, it sounds a little creepy, right? But it's sort of fun, actually. It wasn't sort of fun. It was an awful lot of fun to me. We went to explore the Old City Cemetery in Sandersville. It is old. It, uh, the oldest grave that they know of is 1831. They can they can tell that. They know that there were probably some that were earlier than 1831, but they had wooden uh, headboards. Not headboards. That's what you sleep in. Well, I guess you are kind of asleep there, I guess. And these wooden things that were up, grave markers, wooden grave markers that have rotted away by now so they, they don't know exactly how old some of those were. Um, I know that cemeteries full of dead people might cause some of your fresh flesh to crawl, but I like reading the old headstones and, and and you can piece together people's history and you can sort of understand a little bit about their families, it's, it's neat, and then you can in your mind sort of look at that period of history and how they all lived and all that kind of stuff so anyway one of the headstones one of the first ones that uh that I noticed uh was this one it's Charles M Jones I don't know if he was related to my wife's family because they were Jones or they are Joneses Uh, But the thing that caught my eye about Mr. Jones is he was killed July the 3rd, 1863. And if you can read the bottom inscription, it says he was killed at Gettysburg. Y'all have heard of Gettysburg, right? Gettysburg. That's crazy. You know, killed at Gettysburg. The marker was placed in memory of him. He's not buried there. He's buried somewhere in Pennsylvania at the site of the big battle, but they've got a marker in Sandersville. He was a Sandersville boy, and there he is, killed at Gettysburg. The next two boys, Jones boys, they uh, they didn't really make it a long time either. One of them, the one on the uh, right-hand side was Weaver Harrison Jones. He died October the 4th, 1864. He was another victim of the war. And his brother, who I'm a little partial to because he has my first name spelled correctly, Stephen, S-T-P-H-E-N. His middle name is Benjamin, which is the name of my oldest son. His last name is Jones, which is my wife's family's name. So Stephen Benjamin Jones died in 1882 at the ripe old age of 46 years old. Now I was talking to... uh, Uh, Brother Sheffield who's a a little bit of a historian studied, likes this kind of stuff and he said that a lot of times that these guys might get wounded or hurt during the war or life was so hard when they got back from, from the battle that they didn't live much longer after that. This guy passed away right before he was 46 years old. As I stood there I thought about it. It made me think about would this be Memorial Day weekend these three these three boys in the same family, one of them did not come home from the war at all. One of them came home from the war to be buried and the other one lasted just a little bit. How much sadness that family must have suffered through. And as you walk through the cemetery, you would see lots of things like this that made you think about how could we have it now as compared to how they had it back in those days. Now. You might think, okay, this is sort of a, a melancholy kind of an introduction to Rome, Romans chapter one, verses seven through seventeen. But I want I want us to think about something. Now this is my warped little mind, so y'all try to follow my crazy little logic here. But how long ago was Gettysburg? You know, it's a long time ago, wasn't it? I mean, Gettysburg was like a bazillion years ago. Gettysburg was 156 years. This guy died at Gettysburg, 156 years ago. So if you've got an Aunt Martha that's 102 years old, she was born only 54 years after the Battle of Gettysburg. Does that kind of put that into a little bit of perspective? It's <clears throat> when my son Ben went to Belgium uh, back years ago. School went to Belgium. Ben went. Ben went on that trip. He has gone all over the world. I have gone to Florida. And that's the way we do in our families, you know. Our kids do all this stuff, and, and we out, eat out of brown paper bags. But he went to Belgium, and one of the things that he talked about when he got back is that there would be buildings with plaques on them that said, Made in 1032. I was talking, I forget who I was talking to. We were talking about this kind of stuff. And they told me that at this place they went um, uh, in Wales. I wish I could remember who it was I was talking to. It was in Wales, said that they had a store that's like one of our convenience stores that had been a store for 400 years, for 400 years. When we have a convenience store after 35 years, we tear that sucker down and build something else in its place. Four hundred years, this building has stood in the same place and has been a store for 400 years. We look at stuff in our country and we go, "Oh, that's so old. Gettysburg happened 156 years ago. Here's why I'm making this point. Reggie Joyner, who's the guy that, that is the orange guy, that you know, we do orange stuff here. He said this. He said a hundred years from now, the only thing that will matter in the life of a child is their relationship with God. A hundred years from now, the only thing that will matter to your child in the life of the child is the relationship with God. I expand that just a little bit and I say that a hundred years from now, the only thing that will matter in the life of anybody is gonna be their relationship with God. Now, a hundred years, it was only 156 years ago that Gettysburg happened. Good grief. A hundred years from now, the only thing that will matter in the life of a child is their relationship with God. Y'all open your Bibles to Romans, if you would. Chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. Chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. This morning, I'm really... uh, The the point in all of this is is teaching. That's kind of what I do, I guess. I like to teach. But it's very there's two very practical points we're gonna deal with. So y'all be looking for these two practical points. They are very practical things and, and I need you to be honest today because I know you come to church and when you walk into church, the answer is always Jesus, it has to be Jesus. Doesn't matter what it is you're talking about and we have to always go, uh-huh, I love Jesus. Yes, I do, I love Jesus, how about you? And we have to do our little thing, you know, and, but, but inside our hearts, there's other stuff that's going on and we're going to touch on one of those other things that's going on because it happened to Paul. And we hold Paul in such high esteem. You know, if I could just live my life like Paul, then I wouldn't, you know, I I would be great like him too. And I want us to see that Paul was not Superman. Paul was just a guy. Just a guy like the rest of us. In fact, if tradition is true, and it's tradition, we don't know this. This is the tradition that's been passed down for several thousand years. Paul was bow-legged, balding, Kind of short. He did not speak well. And he had bad eyesight. Now that's what the tradition says that Paul looks like. When I think of Paul, I'm thinking of a man's man. And when Paul walks in, he's got bow legs. He's got bald head. Can't half see. Can't half talk. It's interesting, isn't it? That God chose that man to be his messenger. Anyway. Anyway. I'll get off the subject, get back on the subject. Y'all open your Bibles to Romans chapter one, verses seven through 17. Paul says to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I wanna thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, one of the things that frustrates me when, I'm, when we're working through the, the scriptures, we're working through books, is that I can't tell you everything I've learned. And there's a lot of good stuff in here and I have to leave stuff out and it aggravates me because I want to say it all because I think it's all really, really interesting. You might not, that's okay. I'm a word nerd. I think this stuff is just absolutely crazy good but you have to cut it out because y'all won't stay for two hours. That's just, you know, that's just the way this thing goes. So this is one of those things that I cut out but I'm going to mention right quick because of the fact that we're always, I hear people all the time saying, I don't know what to say. When somebody's when, when I need to talk to somebody about Jesus, I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. Or somebody's asking me for advice, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. Paul said the wrong thing right here. Y'all understand that. Read it. He said the wrong thing. Here's what he said. He said, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. But then he said, that is that we may be mutually encouraged. What Paul did is he's saying, he's thinking, I'm Paul, and I'm going around teaching everywhere. I've started all these churches. I've done all this stuff, and I can't wait to get there to teach you people some pretty neat things. And then he realized in the middle of saying that, that these people don't know me, and I just insulted them. Now, back in those days, you couldn't just wad the piece of paper up, throw it in the trash can, hit the backspace key, use white out. Whatever he was writing on, he now has to talk himself out of the mess he just got himself into. Do you understand that? So what he did here is he said, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged, that y'all can teach me stuff and I can teach y'all stuff too. Don't worry about saying the wrong thing. The great apostle Paul said the wrong thing. He lived through it. He moved on. Don't you worry about saying the wrong thing. Just open your mouth and let the words come out. And if you say something stupid, I promise, I do it all the time. You know it. You'll live right on through it. You know what I mean? It won't kill you. Just go. So I just wanted to bring that out. That cost you nothing. Where are we at? 13. Was it 13? Let's see. Yeah, there we are. Uh, I do not want you to be unaware brothers that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles I am under obligation hear that word I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians both to the wise and the foolish so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome for I am not ashamed of the gospel For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right. History lesson here again, if Paul had lived today, he would have just as easily have written this letter that he's writing to Atlanta, Georgia, as he would have to Rome, Italy, Italy back in his day. When, when you compare the history of these two areas and the type of cultures these two areas have, It's almost identical. There's not a whole lot different. Rome, when this letter was written, it was about uh, 55, uh, 55 AD when Romans was written somewhere right in that area. We think, in our mind, when we think of Rome, we think of the Roman Colosseum and we think of gladiatorial matches, and we think of Christians being bound in rope and soaked in oil for a couple of days and then taken out and used as torches to light the games, and Christians being thrown to lions to be torn to shreds for people to cheer about. We think about that when we think about Rome. This had not happened yet. This is still 10 years in the future, nine years in the future from this particular point. In AD 54, y'all heard the name Nero, right? Nero became, Nero became the emperor of Rome. Now, Nero, Nero's mama was not a nice woman, at least not to her husband. Her husband was Claudius, and Claudius was, uh, They he grew up, his daddy told him, you're never gonna amount to anything, you're never gonna do anything good, you're too dumb, you're too slow, you're never gonna be anything, and then dad dies, and Claudius becomes the emperor. And as it turns out, Claudius is a really good emperor, and he does some really good things for Rome. But Claudius marries Nero's mother, and Nero's mother loved Nero more than she loved Claudius. And so one night for supper, she fed him something and she didn't eat because she poisoned him. And he died and Nero became the emperor. The lesson for this is men, if your wife keeps feeding you and she won't eat with you, just a thought. Byron, I don't know why Nellie's looking at you. I'm just saying. <laughs> this afternoon, you might want to stop by Hardy's on the way home. You know what I mean? But that's, that's what happened here. So now Nero is the emperor. We hear Nero's a bad guy, but he didn't start out bad. Nero started out doing good things for Rome. He started out, he started out, he instituted some political and cultural reforms. He reduced taxes and implemented disaster relief. Have you heard that lately? What did President Trump do? Reduce taxes. What did not get voted through last week, but they say is going to get voted through next week? Disaster relief. This does this not sound exactly like the place that we're living today? It's the very thing that's going on. He gave aid to the Jews. He established competitions in poetry and drama and athletics. Nero enjoyed theater. He enjoyed the music. He enjoyed music. He enjoyed horse races. He was a very cosmopolitan man. He turned Rome into a very cosmopolitan city. The people there were comfortable. Life was good. Life was good. Now, here is why this really does match up with Atlanta right this minute. Life is good. Everything is fine. And the gospel walks into that cultural setting, and it meets with a big yawn. Everybody's sort of ambivalent. You know, it was there's there's we, we have research that says that there's not a lot of people. There are some and they're very vocal that are very anti Christian, but the majority of people now, they're not anti Christian. It's just that my opinion is just as good as yours. My ideas are just as good as yours. My thoughts are just as good as yours. I've heard on television another uh, another time the other day. Well, that's his truth. I've got my truth. You've got your truth. That's just our truth. That makes me nuts. I just want you to know because truth is truth, and you can't have a truth and I have a truth and they both be right and yet they're diametrically opposed. That's not a possibility, but that's just another story for another day. That's the way it is. And if life is good and you've got enough money, you've got more than the necessities, you've got plenty to eat, you've got enough money to pay for entertainment and to go places and you feel safe doing it, why would you upset the apple cart by believing that some man died and came back to life again for you? Why would you do that? I mean, life's good. I don't need that. You go your way, I'll go my way. You can believe whatever you want to believe. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not going to mess with you. Just don't push it on me. Does that not sound like where we are? That's exactly where Rome was in that day, in exactly that situation. And yet God still moved and he still formed a church, a small group of people in Rome. Paul says to those in Rome, when you're in a situation where that's the idea, you start where Paul started. He said they were loved by God, they were called to be saints by God. He wanted them to be blessed with grace and peace from God. He thanked God that everywhere he went all over the world that people knew about them. Even in the midst of this debauchery and immorality in Rome, God had planted a church there. Paul prayed that by God's will that he would visit them one day. He talks to them about the power of God, the righteousness of God. All of this in these first verses right here, he's talking to the church that has been planted by God about God. That's where you start, and that's where he started. Rome was Paul's one. Rome was Paul's one. Now, do you hear him? Without ceasing, he says, "I mention you always in, your, in my prayers. I want to see your face, but I want to preach there too. I want to. I want to see your friends and family. I want to see the people that you work for." That you work with. I want to see the people that you buy from. I want to see all those people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to see them changed and given new life. You can hear as you read this you can hear him pleading with God if there's some way God please I want to go to Rome and we know that God gets him to Rome just not like he thought he was going to but he gets to Rome. He's pleading with the Father and and that's what I'm praying for us, that the Father will burden our hearts with somebody like Paul is being burdened with Rome. The church is growing and yet God is placed in his heart to go there. There's something for you to do there. You need to go there and he over and over and over again because see, a hundred years from now, all that will matter to our one is their relationship with Jesus Christ. A hundred years from now, the only thing that will matter for our one is their relationship with Jesus Christ. So now we get to verse 14, that was intro. Now we get to verse 14. Now, I want you to listen to this. I want, well, doesn't matter what, maybe you'll pick up on this. I'm making an argument here. You're gonna have to think about it. I want you to think about How you act consciously and unconsciously and see if this works, all right? Paul says that I am obligated. I am under obligation. Obligation is not a word we like. We do not like commitment. If you're going to have something where you want RSVPs, you might as well go out and spit into a strong wind. You'll get more results. RSVP, we don't like to RSVP because, see, here's the deal. I'll RSVP and tell you that I'm coming to your party. Yes, I am. I'm going to dress up and all my stuff and go to your party. But after I've RSVP'd you, I find out about somebody else's party, which is going to be a better party than your party. So now I'm going to go to their party because I don't want to go to your So now I've got to call you up and tell you that I'm, I'm sick, but I'm not because I'm going to this other party. So we don't want to do that anymore. We want to keep our options open until the last minute so we can do the thing that we want to do. We don't like being under obligation to somebody. If you're under obligation, that means you owe them something, right? That means that there is a debt involved, which, strangely enough, this word that's translated obligation literally means I am a debtor. I have a debt to pay. I am a debtor. Now, there are two ways to be a debtor. Y'all follow me here. There are two ways to be a debtor. The first way is this. I come up, it's the end of the month, I'm $100 short. I come up to you and I say, hey, can I borrow $100? I'll pay you next Friday when I get paid. You say, sure, Randy, I'll give you $100. I know you're good for it, so you give me $100. I am now in debt to you, right? That's the way it works. You loaned me $100. I'm going to pay you back next Friday. I am in debt to you. You've given me something that I owe back to you. Now, here's the thing that we either consciously or unconsciously, we kind of do sometimes, and it affects how we, it affects how we think about God and how we serve God. We kind of think that because God has done what he's done for us, that we owe him something, and we try to pay him back. Because he has saved us from God's wrath, he saved us from death and hell, he's given us new life. Well, I owe him something. And we even take some of the scriptures and turn those scriptures into things that say, well, we owe God, we owe God, we owe God. We give tithes and offerings sometimes because we owe God. We go to church services because we owe that to God. We teach, we clean, we serve, we cook because we owe God. We sing because I've got this talent that I owe God. I need to use this talent for God because I owe it to him. Paul is, that's not Paul's idea here. That is not Paul's idea here at all. Paul... I'm sure, that, I'm sure that you've seen programs on television. I'm sure you have. I hope you have. I hope they still do these kind of programs where you have a little kid, little boy, who throws a rock through a window and he breaks the glass. And his dad calls him in, fusses at him. Little boy's all ashamed. Daddy says, no, you go to your room and you think about it. So he goes to his room to think about it. And a couple of hours later, he comes out and he's got his hands like this. Got his every, he's got this something in his hands. And he walks up to his daddy, got his head down, doing that little schoolboy shuffle, you know, like you do when you're ashamed of yourself. And his daddy holds his hand out because he wants to see what's in his hand. And when he opens his hand up and pours it out, it's his entire life savings. It's 47 cents. You know, pennies and nickels and dimes. And that's it. And this poor little broken-hearted, unenlightened child thinks, that that 47 cents, his life savings that he's been saving up for weeks and weeks and weeks, that that will replace that window that's been broken out. The kid has no idea that it wouldn't buy dad enough gas to get to Lowe's to buy a piece of glass. But in his little heart, he thinks that that's going to be enough to pay the obligation that he's got. What? We serve a God. We serve a God who created who created all of the galaxies that are there. Scriptures say he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I love the image of that. If I give everything I've got to the exhaustion of my life, what? That's like 47 cents. When I'm giving it back to him to pay him for what he's done for me, that's like 47 cents, some dimes, some nickels, and some pennies. You see, the first type of O is that God gave us something that we have to pay him back for. That's not what we're looking at here. We're looking at the second kind of O. Let's say in this O, you bump into me in the grocery store tomorrow. We're in the grocery store and you're walking up and you see me and you go, hey, Randy, Randy, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have a $100 bill that was my tithe to the church, but I accidentally left it on a shelf at the house yesterday, and I wasn't able to give it. So I've got it with me. I was gonna drop by the church, but it's closed today because it's Memorial Day. So can I give you this $100, and you'll take it to church and, and tomorrow and, and put it in the offering for the church. Would you do that for me? If I say yes and take that $100, who is the debtor? It's not him. He gave me $100. I am now the debtor because I've got your $100, that I've got to take to the church. I owe it to the church. Now, if I take that $100 home and I leave it on the counter so that I don't forget it because if it's not on the counter, I'll probably forget it, so i put it on the counter, but I forget about it and the cat gets hold of it and puts it into a million little pieces and I call you up and say, you're not gonna believe this. (laughs) Your $100 bill, that's the coolest green confetti you've ever seen. I need another $100 to give to the church. You're going to say something like this. "Uh Uh-uh. You owe the church $100, right? Because I'm the debtor. I have to get a new cat. And then I take $100 to the church because I am indebted to the church. I've been given a gift it has to be given away. Paul says, I am a debtor to both the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. He's a debtor to them. He's a debtor to the Greeks, those cosmopolitan people, and he's a debtor to the barbarians that are around him. He's a debtor to wise people that can argue with him and he's a debtor to the foolish people. What is what is his debt? His debt is is that God has given him so much in his salvation that he's got to give it away, that he's received so much. The gift is so great, it has been so special in my life that I am in debt to you to let you know that. See, that's where, to me, that, I like that better. If I am under obligation to pay God back, I can work for the rest of my life and never make a dent in what he's done for me. But because I know what he's done for me, I think it's pretty cool that now I've got a gift to give to you. This is good stuff to give away. I have been given so much stuff. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody that's, that's a deer hunter? And I think this last year must have been a pretty good year because, or it was year before last, I forget which, but it's been very recently that we had a couple of people come up to us and say, listen, I had a year, I had a year and I've got so much venison in the freezer that I've got to get rid of some of it. Do you like deer meat? say, so, well, yeah, we like to hear me. Well, let me give you some. of it. It's that same idea that out of our surplus, out of the goodness that God's given to us, I want to give it away. I'm not under obligation. I'm not being having a gun held to my head that says you've got, you've got more ready to give. No, but I look at you and I go, oh, I'm, I, I want you to have this. I'm a debtor to you. You don't have it. I've been given it to give away. So I want to give this to you. Our debt is not to God. We're, we're going to be dead. We're going to find out later. Paul's going to talk about it. And he's going to tell us, listen, you're dead. <laughs> you're just dead. You're done. You're history. your past tense. You're toast. God is in you now. You're a new being, a new creation. So take this and give this gift away to everybody else. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want us to catch is This. Paul says something that's kind of strange. The problem with us is is that many of us that have been in the church for a billion years, we've heard this until we've been inoculated by it. It's just another verse. We've just heard it a million times. We take it for what it is and we move on. But the the verse is this. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why would he say that? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Is it because I'm Paul? I'm Paul. And I have gone to all these places and i preached to all these people and all these different places with smart people and dumb people and and sophisticated people and unsophisticated people. And I have preached the gospel and I've seen all kinds of people saved and we've planted churches all over the place. And I am Paul and I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I don't think that's the reason. John Stott said this and I agree with him. John Stott said, now listen, One cannot say, I am not ashamed of something unless one has been tempted to be ashamed of something. I want you to think about that. One cannot say, I am not ashamed of something unless one has been tempted to be ashamed of something. So now, are you saying, Randy, that Paul was tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. It's absolutely what I'm saying. It's absolutely what I'm saying. Let me tell you why. Paul talks about, he's he's walking into Rome, this hub of commerce and learning and philosophy. They are the ones that have brought peace to the entire known world. And Paul says, what about the gospel? He said, it is foolishness to some people. He said, it's a stumbling block to other people. Paul is walking into this world of great thinkers, great arguers, learned men, and he's confronting their years of study with this message. Jesus was crucified on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and on the third day, God the Father raised this Jesus from the dead. This Jesus has saved me from the wrath of God and has given me new life, and he will do the same thing for you if you believe. Now, it sounds to Paul's ears just like it sounds to our ears sometimes. When you think about where we are in in time and history and how much credence we give to science and technology, and you're gonna argue with someone about the creation of the universe and they can tell you about a big bang and how everything exploded and went all these different directions and because of the speed of light and and the force of gravity, how these things turned and twisted and moved and, and they've become and we can even watch now with telescopes and see and understand all of this and what's your argument, Randy? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, really? That's the best you can do? Yeah, that's kind of my thing. We have a big abortion debate going on right now in our country. If you've missed that, then you are obviously dead or do not own a television. It's all over the place in the news now. Big abortion debate going on. We signed a heartbeat bill in the state of Georgia, a heartbeat bill in Alabama. Some of the production companies, uh, movie production companies, aren't going to come here because women don't have a choice anymore. Just a quick aside—that's not a part of the sermon. Women do have a choice. Every one of you have a choice of who you're going to sleep with, and or whether you want to have a baby or not. They make contraception and things like that. The choice starts before you make the baby, but that's just a man, and I don't have the equipment. You know, they tell me I can't have an idea or a, 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 a opinion about that, which brings me to my thing here. What do I have to stand on? When we're given that debate, I watched a young man just get literally harassed to pieces because he was pro life. And what do I have to stand on? Well, let's see. I've got Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. I've got Psalm 139 for it was you who created my inward parts you knit me together in my mother's womb I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well Exodus 23 7 keep yourself from a false matter do not kill the innocent and righteous for I will not justify the wicked sounds like you're bringing a knife to a sword fight don't it but Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel I was tempted. I'm tempted, just like you're tempted to sit down sometimes and think that what I believe doesn't make sense in the world that we live in right now. I am tempted, but I am not ashamed of the gospel Because I understand it is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then I add my little paraphrase on the back of that. For in this gospel, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God is his goodness and faithfulness. When you read through the Old Testament, you'll find over and over in the Old Testament, one of the reasons you need to study and read it, over and over God says, I'm gonna save my people, I'm gonna save my people, I'm gonna save my people, I'm going to save my people. It's a theme that runs all the way through the Old Testament where he continually says, I will save you. I will save my people. I will save my people. And here, the righteousness of God, he's doing what he said he was going to do. The righteousness of God to save his people is revealed from my faith, telling the good news to you so it can grow in faith in you. From faith for faith. From me to you, God will grow it because as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The Lord has been promising to save people ever since Adam and Eve sinned. And everybody that puts their full trust in God who sent his son to the cross and raised him from the dead, God will make him his own. When he makes him his own, he will save Save them from the wrath of God and place them into the kingdom of God. He'll take away their sins, give them Jesus' righteousness. He will give them eternal life from the moment they first believe. He'll give them new life, fill them with the Holy Spirit, remove their heart of stone, fill it with the heart of flesh. On the heart of flesh, he will write his his laws, so that we will have internal guidance from that moment until the day we die of his Holy Spirit working in us to show us the good way, the right way, the honorable way, the noble way, the safe way to live. He will begin a new work in us that he will bring to completion. He will take care of all of our needs according to his riches in glory. That's what he's given to me that I am now obligated to give away because it is too much for one man. Paul says, I've been tempted to be ashamed. I want you to hear this because if I ask for a show of hands, some of you would raise your hands. If I say, You've, have you ever been ashamed? Have you ever been in a situation where you knew you should say something and you didn't because inside you were a little bit ashamed, a little bit afraid, they're going to do this? Half of you would raise your hands and say, yes, I've been there. And the other half of you would be liars because every last one of us have been in that situation. And Paul says, I've been in that situation too. I've been there. So it's okay. But remember that it is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation for everybody. I've been tempted to be ashamed. Next to all of the rational arguments of the modern philosophers that he had in his day and that we have today, a dead man coming back to life sounds like foolishness. Unless that dead man is Jesus, who God raised back to life to prove that God is God and has the power over sin and death. Nothing is more powerful. No one is more faithful. No one is more devoted to us than the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to everyone who believes to me first and then to my one because a hundred years from now, somebody will be looking at your headstone in a city cemetery somewhere. The only thing that will matter to you at that moment is your relationship to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, please, I thank you that you put such practical things in the scripture and that you well, you formed us; our you formed our inward parts. You know us inside and out. It's almost foolishness to say it, Lord, but you know us so well, and you know that we've been there. Have been moments that we've all been ashamed because we didn't speak up and say and do. But Lord, Lord, you've forgiven us for our sins, past, present, and future. If we're your children, help us to be like Paul although he was tempted to be ashamed that he stepped up to the plate spoke the gospel because he knew that it's the gospel that has power and not us when we Lord when we think about ourselves standing before wise and smart people who have all the arguments Lord help us to remember a short, bow-legged, bald-headed half-blind man with a speech impediment that could say that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and people's lives would be changed. And help us to know, Lord, that that same power that filled Paul will fill us today. Help us, Lord, to be brokenhearted for those around us because they will not be here in 100 years. And if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they will have a relationship with Satan for all eternity. I don't wish that on my worst enemy, Father. I pray that we would all come to the knowledge of Jesus and be saved and follow him. Please this morning, Father, if there's somebody here that's never trusted Jesus as their savior, Lord, the gospel, let them hear the gospel and let their hearts be changed and let them profess you and follow you for the rest of their days. And we pray for the rest of us, Lord. Show us our one break our hearts and help us to realize how much we have because some of it needs to be given away we thank you Lord in Jesus name amen this morning if, you've, if you're, you are moved by the spirit you've never made a public profession of faith in Jesus as your savior I invite you this morning to come down and, uh, and, and tell me that and let's talk about it and, uh, and let's let's make it real If you've been visiting with First Baptist and you wanna join the church, come down the aisle and do that. If you wanna come pray for your one or for anything that's troubling you, pray. You may wanna pray a prayer of thanksgiving that Patsy and James are here this morning and they've gone through some really, really hard times and yet the Lord's been faithful and he's brought them right back again. James has told me many times in the hospital how much he misses being at church, that this is the place where he belongs and here he and Patsy are this morning. You can say a thank you to God for an evidence in front of us that God is faithful. Y'all, let's stand as we sing.